When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Roxanne Calder. Roxanne is an expert when it comes to the future of work. As the founder of S10, she helps businesses both big and small find their perfect staff. She spent over two decades working in the HR and recruitment space, and what she doesn't know about being employable is really not worth knowing. If you're wanting to safeguard your working future and your business, well then Roxanne has plenty of advice on why Aussie business owners need to be looking at mature workers, reskilling and upskilling existing staff, and keeping an eye out for headhunters. Yes, salary does matter, but purpose-led work and values are coming up trumps in attracting and retaining talent. Hi, Roxanne. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Now, we've all been hearing about, you know, the great resignation and the talent shortage and how terrible it is for businesses to attract talent at the moment. But it's not just all the fault of the pandemic, is it? No, not at all. Um, we we believe or we think that is just because it's sort of risen to the surface. But this issue is being... Um, you know, occurring for quite some time. We've been, we were experiencing it well before the pandemic. Um, and if you, you know, there's some basic sort of reason because people often will say to me, "What's happening? How come I can't find any staff? Why is it the pandemic?" And it's, it's actually not. So if we break it down to some simple sort of just I don't know data or statistics to make it easy, um, if we just look at simply the fact that we've got people exiting the workforce, so our aging aging population exiting. Um, which is a big um, a, bi- a big factor because the birth rates were sitting at three, which is this group. So the birth rates were sitting at three point six one. Um, I think it was in nineteen in the in the sixties, um, and now the birth rates are sitting, you know, circa one, you know, one point three. Um, so we've got this sort of discrepancy of replacement levels as people are exiting the workforce. So, you know, that's part of the problem. Part of the other problem is that it's actually a skills shortage as well. So even if we have um, people, um, we, we don't actually have the skills that, that match and go with that. And then you look at the Australian um, unemployment rate, which is sitting at 3.5, um, and that's also termed as close to full employment, meaning that we don't have enough job seekers to fill all of the vacancies, vacancies that we have. Um, it used to be you know, back in the day, like when I opened my business 12 years ago, we would very quickly turn around shortlists, you know, within days. And that would be from sourcing from um, advertisements, etc. And, you know, a shortlist of three people, um, you would be lucky to get a shortlist of three people at the same time for any job um, that, that's sitting in Australia. And if you even if you take every vacancy at the moment and we've got a um, the highest level of job vacancies currently and you put that against the number of people who are currently unemployed, if you were just saying they're the only people that we will source from, I think that figure sits something incredible like 1.3 um, applicants to each one of those jobs. 
Um, and that's, of course, saying that those applicants would be the right applicants, which we know that is incorrect. Um, so it is a it, it is a big deal. It's not something that will turn around anytime soon. Um, and not to mention also in, in whether we're just behind Canada in being the second worst country in the developed world for this um, shortage of talent. So I know it sounds like I'm sort of making it a big deal, but that's because it is <laughs> something that we'll fix soon. <laughs> great if you're an employee, not so great if you're in the business trying to employ someone. Well, even then, I'm not so sure if it's great if you're an employee because it certainly it is if you're level-headed and you view this from the right frame of reference. But because there's so much opportunity, um, it's like that whole paradox of choice, like how do you make the right decision? Um, and then you've got people leaving jobs where they're totally comfortable, really love their boss, love what they're doing um, because they've been headhunted and the, for the first time in their life they don't know how to deal with this. So um, it's actually a difficult time for job seekers as well. Mm. Yeah, like like I've been headhunted on numerous occasions but I would have to say in the last like six months or so the number of, of recruiters just contact me, contacting me on LinkedIn and stuff about jobs when they can see I don't have anything on my um, on my profile going, you know, looking for opportunities or anything. They're just like going out there and going, sending emails. It's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting about that is a true headhunt um, is about aligning up your skill set, your background, your experience with the vacancy that they have. Mm. For a lot of people who are being approached via these headhunts or random calls or random approaches, Often it's not aligning with a job at all. It's merely trying to flush out um, availability of candidates so that they can have you as somebody that they can then put out to a shortlist that might come through the following week or the week after. And then, you know, so then you get people who are really happy, like I said before, happy in their job. And then it plants that whole psychological seed of, oh, maybe I should look. That That's the, the issue that I find with it is that it's, um, and that's even then, I don't think that's immoral at all. It's just that it doesn't sit personally with my values yeah. <laughs> of how I would go about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess that's kind of what I was saying, thinking as well. It's not yeah. my values. I wouldn't be going trying to poach someone from somewhere yeah. where, where you know that they're happy. Yeah. But yeah. Um, anyway, that's enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what should businesses be doing if they're trying to attract talent then? Um like what about the role of purpose and and the value of a business like is that becoming more and more important to candidates yeah I think do you know what it's always been important um it's just that what's happened with the pandemic it's like the whole issue we've got with with candidates um people are expressing themselves more and they are able to do this more so meaning that if something is important to them instead of 10 years ago they wouldn't bring it up, like flexibility. So flexibility is important to everybody always. It's just that we, we couldn't say, I would really like to leave at three o'clock on every Thursday, or I'd like to only work four days a week and one of those from home, because it's likely that your boss would say it doesn't work for our business. Whereas what has been great about the pandemic is it's forced us into the situation of change and we've shown that we can work remotely, we can work flexibly and um, and now we're asking for it and in often a lot of cases demanding it. So that that's one of the things that's changed. The other piece is this um, 
section on sort of transparency and authenticity, um, that that is also what is um, expected um, from our workforce and from our leaders um, as well. And it's and it's um, something that you know has to sort of. I think it has to happen in businesses, if not already. Um, but then there's the whole, you know, what does that look like? Um, how how authentic can you be? Is that really authentic, or are you just trying? And all those things, you know, that that go, that go with that, and making sure people do it for the right reason. Um, but when you mention purpose, that also is bundled in with all of this as well, because I think again, the pandemic has un, unveiled and un, un, um, revealed a lot of what we really, really do want from our life now. And part of our life is jobs. Um, and so when we talk about our jobs, it's, you know, I, I want to work for purpose. I want to work for a business that um, I have aligned values with and that, you know, I can be engaged in what they're achieving as well, um, et cetera, with all those things that go with that. Mm. Yeah, as you say, it, was, it's, um, it wasn't really the pandemic that kind of brought this out. It was happening beforehand. People were looking for more meaning in the roles that they were taking, that idea of having a job for life. It, it doesn't exist anymore, does it, really? No, but it ha- that hasn't existed for a long time. I reckon, what, since the 70s maybe even. Mm. Having said that, though, you know, we exaggerate when we say job for life, but I still think that tenure, longevity in a role is incredibly valuable to the person in it and also to employers. I think we underestimate, you know, we, we attach a lot to job mobility in a way to justify why it's okay for people to, to be there for one year or two years. Um, but in actual fact, I have a different opinion about that. I actually think job um, longevity and tenure is um, is far more beneficial for both parties. So in that case, how do you suggest uh, businesses put their focus to be able to encourage that longevity with their employees? Yeah, well, it is about understanding what it is that your employee um, wants, desires and can be engaged with. And, you know, it's understanding what their purpose is going to be at work, um, what their drivers are going to be and, um, you know, making sure that you can sort of deliver as best you can to that. Um and that's no easy task either. Like that's it's not as simple as just saying, oh, you know, just make sure this happens. It's actually quite hard. <laughs> um, and but it sits on both sides. I don't think it just sits with the employer because it also sits on sits on educating people on why why it is actually of benefit to um, be in a business longer than one year or even two years. Um, so I think it, it works on both sides. And what about the skills shortage? Should we rather than be looking for talent outside the business should we be looking to upskill people within the business yeah so I've got like a million different ideas on, on this um I probably won't be able to remember everyone <laughs> but <laughs> I think um too often we go external we go to market the moment we need to recruit and I understand that that's just the way that we've been thinking but there's probably skills that are sitting in your business. So I would suggest that people do like an audit internally and, and we probably, you know, might have, you know, someone that you've been working with for a number of years and you see them only labelled in that role. But maybe they've got a second language or maybe they've got a degree that you weren't aware of or maybe they're actually incredibly great, good with numbers but you've got them in a role that is, you know, communications role because you know they're, they're good at writing as well so um, it's about doing an audit um, to understand what are the skills that are sitting in your business 
um, currently that you can potentially be utilising and that's great for them as well. Um, then understanding what the transferable skills are as well. So what, what skills are sitting there that you can actually transfer to another part of the business, another job, also upskill, retraining, all of those things, um, and then also tapping into a different parts of different segments of the workforce. So if in your mind you think that, oh, no, I've got to have someone who's 35 because they're this, this and this, whatever stereotypes, whatever bias we apply to that, it's about removing all of our bias. And we all have, every every single one of us has a bias. Um, and it's not to say that it's a negative thing because everybody has it. It just depends. It's based on all your experiences, all your life journeys, all of those things that causes this sort of bias, subconscious or not. So it's about questioning the bias that you have. Even if we look at the pandemic as a great example, before that happened, if you said to businesses, you know what, you can um, have the majority or half of your workforce working from home, the immediate response would be no. That's a bias. That, that's a that's a just a reflex reaction. But we we're forced to make it happen and shown that it can actually be successful if done the right way. Um, so it's about probing um, the assumptions, the bias, all of those things that come into play to make you say, no, my next employee has to be like this. Well, why do they have to be like that? Why do they have to have an engineering degree? Why do they have to have five years experience? What does the five years experience actually mean? So doing all of that as well and then tapping potentially into sections of the workforce um, where there has an higher um, unemployment rate. So, for example, our older workers, the youth, um, return to work, part-timers, all of all of that category that sometimes are untapped in terms of um, potential. Um, the other idea I would suggest for people is often we do exit interviews when people resign. So they resign and then we do an exit interview and they tell us why they're resigning, you know, give us any pointers, etc. Not everyone does this. In fact, maybe a lot of businesses don't do it anymore, but it certainly was a thing to be done. What I would suggest to people is instead of doing an exit interview, do like what I would call a, it sounds a little bit cheesy, but like almost like a, a happiness interview. So, you know, it'd be interviewing people in your business to say, tell me what you like about your job. What's great about the position? What's great about the content? Tell me what's good about the colleagues. What do you like about the values? For a couple of reasons, one is it might unearth some areas that gives you further ideas to go um, further with, but psycho um, psychologically it gets people in your business feeling and thinking positively about what they're doing, how they're doing it, how they're approaching it. And, you know, regardless that we're sort of out of COVID um, or out of the lockdowns, there's still a lot of baggage that has been carried around since the, since the last couple of years. So, and, and of course, you know, People are talking about recessions and economic downturns. So we've got to get people thinking positively and with optimism and having faith. And part of that will be about shaking that if you have that conversation with people about tell me what it is about your life, what, what it is that you like about your job. Um, and it gets people in that mindset instead of the negative. Um, but, yeah, there is stuff that you can do around all of this skills shortage that doesn't have to be purely about going to market to recruit. It's interesting that you touched on that mental health piece because, as you say, you know, we might have become accustomed to dealing with COVID now, but, yeah, there's thoughts of the recession, there's all these other anxieties that are cropping up for people. So helping maintain a positive mindset and, and focusing on well-being is so important right now. Do you, do you have any tips for employers or business, small business owners around mindset? 
I I think just be listening, like just being aware. And, and look, the beauty I think from a small business is that you can get close to your employees. Like you can sort of understand them also. That's the wonderful thing um, and why I've always, even despite I've got my own business, but why I always sort of gravitated towards um, that size of business is because I enjoyed the proximity of that relationship that you have with people again that whole piece about genuine transparency authenticity you you get to have that when you have those relationships so for any anyone who has their own business a small business and I know it's actually the the ironic thing is it's actually really tough (laughs) having your own business and a small business um, because you spend so much time on it in it etc and then now I'm saying, oh, by the way, spend time with your people and listen to them, et cetera. And by then you're probably exhausted. But the truth of it is um, that that's what to do. You know, sort of you could probably pick up the signs and the, the, the little things if you are close enough to, you know, the people that you work with um, as it is. But I would just be listening for those things because that there will be indicators. Maybe someone just needs a day off, a half day off. Maybe their work, and this is the other thing, because we've all been looking for people, everyone's workload has increased. And we just gradually sort of like take on more. But maybe that person who's a bit tired has been doing a job for one and a half people, but you've not realised it because for the last two years you've been short-staffed and that person's just stepped up. And now if you reflect back, they're actually carrying the job of an additional person. Um, So it's all these sorts of things. I think it's just about about being aware and having self-awareness. Sometimes more so I think at at the moment there's – so many businesses that have lost staff over the pandemic and not replaced them yeah whether it's from a financial perspective or whether that's the skill shortage or whatever so there are a lot of people that are doing yeah well the whole financial piece is scary as well because you know the cost of living has gone up but the cost for business has gone up as well Mm -hmm. so it's um you know it's not just the financial piece of coming out of COVID, but it's now dealing with the increased um commercial cost of running your business um it's just um it's almost like the you know just when you think you're sort of getting ahead the next barriers and it's like the olympics (laughs) (laughs) next level has gone up like great (laughs) um do do you um typically see any warning signs that an employee might be dissatisfied and about to go and look elsewhere i think if you know the person that you're working with you can probably pick up on i don't want to sound like um non-scientific but you can probably pick up on their energy levels you could probably pick up on their demeanor engagement you know everyone has an off day but if the off day turns into off weeks um absenteeism um you know and i don't mean it could be absenteeism because there's a little bit ill a little bit run down but it could be that maybe they're going for interviews um all those sorts of things uh some of the signs i think most people who employ people run their own business have teams are sort of attuned to picking up those signs um or maybe maybe they're not and it's just that something that I've because of the the job I do I'm always so attuned to it um you know I, I care about the you know the people in my team and so if they're you know if, if there's something wrong I want to know about it um and so maybe I just assume wrongly that most managers would do that um but I think there's sort of some of the things. It's the engagement levels that drop off are the big indicators. Mm. And what do you think makes a, a, a good leader? I think um, self-awareness. 
so that you understand the impact that you're having, um, your ability to put yourself into their shoes, um, empathy, um, being authentic but with boundaries. Um, the boundaries piece is, is really um, is important. Um, giving res- respect, providing respect, um, allowing people to be individuals um, and le- leading by example. So what's the boundaries piece that you're talking about when you say be authentic but, you know, with boundaries? Because, yeah, I guess um, with the way people on social media are always sharing everything, they're could be a tendency to not have those boundaries anymore is that kind of what you mean like setting up personal boundaries or? yeah it's it's it, when I talk about those boundaries like that you have in every part of your life so um let me think of an example of what I mean by that there's a time and a place so for example you know when we were working from home and we might have been zoom on zoom but it just might be internal with our teams if we were in the office we'd be dressed appropriately you know, we would have, whether it be smart, casual, whatever it might be. And I know that for me, this also happened, like I tried to keep that up. But then occasionally on the Friday afternoons, I would not be dressed smart, casual, I might still be in my gym gear. Or, you know, um, there would be, I think during that whole time, we got to experience a different side of managers, leaders, and people who, anyone that was in a level of authority, and it was appropriate. So whether you were I don't know, pyjamas, whether you were had the catwalk. Oh, this is my favourite. It was always the cat walking across the screen, kids in the background, dog jumping up, whatever it might be. <laughs> it was okay. It was totally, absolutely acceptable, absolutely appropriate um, because we we're all in it together and people needed to see that. I don't know that it's okay now because when it happened then, it was it was it wasn't something that was planned. I feel almost now like it's like no no put the cat in the kitchen. <laughs> We're having a business <laughs> meeting, you know. It, it just maybe a little bit contrived um, now if that sort of that sort of happens. Um, the other example of what I mean by boundaries as well is it's important and and as humans this happens I would think every second of the day. You've got a million different thoughts going through your mind when you're walking the dog when you're out. Um, doing the school pickup, when you're doing the groceries, when you're at work, whatever it might be, there are so many thoughts and feelings that go through your mind, but it's not appropriate to express them all at, a, at all. So <laughs> that's what I imagine if we did. <laughs> I know, it would be anarchy. Like, so that's what I mean by boundaries as well. Like you need to um, be strict on making sure that you don't say everything that you feel. You'll lose credibility. Um, I think... Um, yeah, the boundaries, and it helps you to be a manage the difficult situations when you need to. When you need to turn that part of the manager on, boss hat on, whatever that is, when it has to be a difficult conversation, um, it allows you to do that more easily when you have the right boundaries in place. Um, if you've overshared, so people think being like when you're authentic, it's okay to share. It is okay to share, but not overshare. That can be needy. Um, and if we're too, if we hold on to that piece of being, um, you know, as a leader, if you're, if you're saying, oh, you know, I'm sticking to my values, this is what's important to me. Well, you've also got to value what's important to the business, what's important to your team. Um, and sometimes we stick to, oh, no, this is what's important to me because it's a comfort. 
Um, and sometimes we've got to get out of that comfort zone and otherwise we'll be too rigid and we actually won't grow and we won't develop. And, you know, I think as managers, as whoever, whatever role we play in a business, you know, we're, we're employees, you know, I, I have my own business, but I'm an employee of that business and I have authority, uh, not sorry, authority. I have duties and responsibilities to the business and the people that I employ. So, you know, it's not okay to always have my own values asserted at all. That's my view, <laughs> right or wrong, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an interesting point because often, um, you know, it's kind of perceived like the boss is the boss and what they say goes, but but also sometimes that should be challenged, shouldn't it? Well, I think if what they say goes because they're the expert in the job that they're doing, but not if they're talking about politics that has nothing to do with a business or religion or virtue signaling, any of those sorts of things, I think that makes people feel uncomfortable because they are the boss. So what what is the person, your colleague next to you or the receptionist going to say if she disagrees? They're not they're probably not. So I, that's the other thing when I talk about boundaries is you know, I think you have to be careful when you're a manager to make sure that you aren't um, exalting the thoughts that you have and because that, that, I think that's sort of crossing the line in terms of what's fair and reasonable because um, you might make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, so I don't know if that answers that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, completely different topic. When mm-hmm. it comes to flexibility and you're saying everybody is, um, you know, wanting that flexibility these days, mm. what if you're a business that's a brick and mortar store, for example. So you can't really be that flexible in terms of work because, you know, your operating hours are from this to this. Or what can you do then to to kind of still feel that need for flexibility for your employees, but, you know, you're tied to specific hours or whatever? I think, so the first thing is whilst flexibility is a want and a desire for pretty much all of us, we're also seeing a major shift in bigger businesses, businesses in general, um, saying actually some of this flexibility doesn't work for us as a business. It's a little bit what I was saying before. Um, you know, your responsibility is to the business. That's why you're there. Um, when you're at home, your responsibility is to your home and your family. Um, so there's a big, a big cry out for businesses to say, actually, some of this flexibility doesn't work for our business anymore. We're not getting the productivity. We're not getting the results that we used to have. Um, so they are asking, this is globally, they are asking for people to come back into the office space, whether that's on a three-day week or a set three days or whether it's four days. And for some businesses, they're saying five. So even for people who are new to the workforce, interns, people in their first, second job, still learning and growing, uh, that whole flexibility piece doesn't work for them career-wise or for the business because who are they learning from? They're not listening to someone who, across the desk, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I just thought to say that as a sort of overarching piece around the flexibility bit. But to answer your question about the whole bricks and mortar piece, if that's if that's part of the, the, the requirement and part of the job, then you just have to say that up front. You know, this is a sales role in a shop, in a store. You need to be in the store. The flexibility I can give you, though, is if you need to leave at three o'clock to do a school pickup, I can cover that. So that sort of flexibility, I think you just, you have to be um, flexible, <laughs> mind, um, 
to think of solutions and what what can you do? It's that whole piece again, like not saying, not having a negative reflex, being, okay, this is a really great person or I value this person. They've been working with me for three years, but now they want to work four days a week. Maybe you can do that. Maybe you can still cover that. Maybe it just means that you have to step up and do the extra day or cover that day or um, you work something else around it or you hire someone else to do one day a week. Um, I think it's far better to show some flexibility where you can. I think go into it thinking, okay, how do we do this as opposed to no, we can't, but how can we make it work? Because the alternative may be that you might lose that person to the place down the road that can facilitate a more flexible workforce. Because I think what you're saying isn't, oh, can I do that job from home? Because that's likely not possible. But maybe what you're saying is, can I leave early? Can I come in later? You know, it doesn't even have to be around family. You know, we, we put this as a priority, like, oh, you know, I've got to pick up the kids. Well, maybe someone just has an interest in doing yoga. And that 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 um, interest has just as much priority as my interest or your interest. It, do, it shouldn't matter what it is. It's whatever that person's life priority is. And if that's about doing yoga three times a week, who are we to say, well, that's actually not important enough? So it's whatever is important to that person. If you can do it, then, you know, try. Mm. Be flexible. Yeah. <laughs> flexible in the mind. <laughs> now, um, finally, I just want to go back to that ageing population uh, that you mentioned earlier and how can we be tapping into that mature workforce more, like taking advantage of all that knowledge that that is there as well? Um, well, um, the first thing is being open to well, – so even if we look at just out of interest, you know that the Australian Bureau of Statistics um, says or qualifies someone as being um, mature um, from 45 to 64 so you're a mature worker if you're 45 years of age, which I just find incredible that we label it like that in the first place. But, you know, to answer your question, I think be um, open when you're interviewing people. You can gear your ads so, so that it can be really open um, for people, for every anyone to be answering that um, advertisement or um, putting their application in. Um, so that, that that's a sort of a starting point. You know, you could be going to different um, websites that um, are around sort of circulating for um, people who are in an older demographic. Um, the other thing that I've suggested to a couple of different um, places is to do what I call like a buddyship, so um, which is like a, a less structured, less formal version of, of mentoring. So instead we, um, you know, we do mentoring when it's like, okay, I've got this skill set, I can help that more junior person. But the buddyship piece is about um, aligning someone who is older, whatever age that might be, with someone who is younger, again, whatever age that might be. And the younger person might be really au fait on social media, you know, quickly getting around tech, whatever it might be to get things done. And the older person is incredibly good at knowing how to do business writing. So, you know, even little things like, you know, when people come out of university now, their ability to write um, a formal email, and by, by formal, I just mean DSS, you know, <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of the no salutation, no greeting, no sign off, no call, like the, some of these basic things. Um, so, you know, business writing skills that some of the older generation, when I say older, even me, <laughs> um, you know, that sort of thing that, that we have, you know, I think our um, 
our ability to write and construct sentences and pull together plans and analysis and all that sort of thing is maybe what happened through our education system. I don't know. Um, whereas, you know, can I get myself around TikTok? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, all of the, and any of those social media platforms or anything, you know, so if you had a buddy ship and you line someone up who's got both of those skill set, they're sharing. Um, and it's it's a more informal network. I would encourage businesses to look at that. I think that would be a beautiful um, scenario to see happening in, in companies. It's, it's actually really great. You know, we do that in schools in um you pair the kindergartner with the sixth grader, you pair the year seven with the year 12. So why shouldn't that be happening in the workplace as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing I like about that, the, the concept of the buddy ship is that it's the person who's entering the workforce who's also teaching the person who's um, super experienced. And we're breaking down those barriers so that it doesn't have to be that the inexperienced someone feels intimidated by the person who's in their 50s. You know, because the the person in their fifties is going to say, "By the way, um, can you show me how to do this on Instagram or LinkedIn, or you know, how do I do this sort of thing here?" And or the grads coming out now with their Excel skills, as a simple example, you know, my Excel skills are pretty good. They're not as good as the grads, though. <laughs> so <laughs> it's that that sort of you know, it's it, it's that sort of thing that it allows that um, conversation to to happen as well. Excel is the bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm partial to a spreadsheet, so I don't mind. <laughs> oh, I have so many spreadsheets in my life. It's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't share your love for them, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so you've also uh, recently written a book, Employable yes. Seven Attributes to Assure Your Working Future. Yes, yes. What made you decide to put pen to paper? Well, I was approached by a publisher. It was actually during COVID and I had never written a book before. Um, and I did it for two reasons. One, to remain employable myself <laughs> and my business, um, but also because the, op- the opportunity was there. Like I, I've always been like that in my life, that if someone gives you an opportunity, you have a window and I, I don't know that people sometimes understand this. Like, you know, often people will come to me and be like, oh, my boss has said I could do this job of promotion. I'm like, take it. Why wouldn't you? If they believe in you, why wouldn't you? Oh, I'm really worried I might fail. Well, so, like, try. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's that that level of, um, you know, people, I think that there's always like a window when something is presented to you. And, and even if you do fail, who cares? You tried. And it takes you on a different path somewhere else. Um, so I've always been about grasping opportunities when they're presented to you and seeing where it takes you next um, and just putting everything that you can into it. So that's, that's the, you know, the main reason that I did it. Um, but if you're asking why I p- picked this particular subject, it was because during COVID, so many people in the initial stages lost their jobs. Um, and it was a shock to the system because I think we'd been, bought, you know, no one had really gone through any form of recession in recent times or had major job losses, or if they did, they found another job pretty quickly. Um, and I think the whole pandemic was a shock to people. And people who had been in jobs for a long period of time realised for the first time that actually I might struggle to get a job because of the, how employable they were. So you can be working and actually not that employable. And that's what the pandemic unfortunately showed showed people and that's why the topic of the book is what it is um and even more so 
you know, when you said before, it's good for people who are, the market is now good for people who are looking for jobs. And I said, yeah, it is and it isn't because the other piece that comes with that is if you're almost like a spoiled child sometimes, you know, if you're too spoiled, then you don't appreciate it and then you become a little bit complacent. So if you're in, in a high um, employment and it's so easy to get a job and you can quit and get another one really easily, then it stops people from trying necessarily or putting more effort in or taking care of their own learning and development and employability. Um, so there's all these things that come into play when we talk about this and it all comes back to really awareness and self-awareness and um, being present and all those things that, you know, are, are important as a life school, life skill, um, not just for work. Mm. So what do you think makes some one person more employable than an, uh, than another? If they have like, you know, you would have laid their CVs out and they've got similar qualifications when you're interviewing them, what would make you think one was more employable? Uh, attitude, always attitude. So that whole ability to, um, you know, how they're communicating with you, um, are they flexible? Are they? Do they have decent manners? Are they arrogant? All those sorts of things. So if you've got exactly the same resume, exactly the same experience, it will always be attitude. In fact, if you had one person that had even had a little bit more experience, a little bit more knowledge, a better degree, but they didn't have a good attitude, I would always go for the other person, mm-hmm. even so with the less skills. A culture fit as well that you're looking for. Yeah, but the, but maybe the cultural fit. It would suit the arrogant one. So if, if it's a cultural, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Like some people, some cultures might love that. So that might be fine. But for me personally, I'll always be about attitude because the attitude is the bit that will say to me that person will try harder, work harder, um, be more pleasant to work with, will get better results from the team. I'm more likely to go into a leadership role in the future, succession planning, um, more likely to take on feedback and therefore grow. Um, that whole attitude piece it circles everything that we do. And what about we have a lot of uh, soloists, self-employed people that mm-hmm. listen to the podcast as well, and I think for them as well a lot of work might have dried up. What Should they be yeah. looking as well at, um, I don't know, what their transferable skills might be if, it, if, it, if work's not coming in to their specific business right now? What else can they do that's yeah. transferable? Yeah, look, I do think, look at, and that's the beautiful thing about this market now, because we have this skills shortage, so we have to look at, okay, well, I can't get that skill, but what's close to it that I can train up and is transferable, and even if I cut some of the job out, if I can do this instead, absolutely, the transferable skill piece is the part that will get people transitioning to different jobs. And also, if you think about the fact how quickly jobs are changing, so jobs from three years ago, um, you know, might not be around in another three years' time. Jobs that when I left school and university um, are no longer around. Jobs that are available now, like influencers or, you know, um, experience managers, all those sorts of things, they weren't around when I left school and university. Um, so, yeah, there's and to do those jobs, you need transferable skills. You don't go to university to be an influencer. I mean, I'm sure there's courses now to do that, but, you know, like it's, um, they're transferable skills. And what are the, the jobs that you are seeing are kind of going the way of the dinosaurs? Um, it's sort of hard. So it would be anything that is at a low-level communication piece. So like we, we've already sort of experienced, like, you know, if we think about receptionists, 
Um, there's still the need for receptionists, but not like they were before in the same way that we used to have typists. You know, we, we don't see that anymore. Um, but the roles, what happens instead is the roles sort of evolve. So what we see now with receptionists is they'll um, often be office managers at the same time. Um, so they're building a, a different skill set that is not just a meet and greet and answering the phones because there's not as many people coming in, not as many calls coming in. So what will happen instead is that's, that skill base will increase to be taking on other sorts of roles instead. Um, roles are becoming much more technically focused and especially if you look at the medical arena. So um, things are being honed in a lot more instead of being more generic. Um, what else can I talk to you about that? Um, and just by need. So if we look at hospitality industry, how much more of that is taken online, orders booked, even preempting um, what you might want to order that day, have have for dinner that day. So I, you know, our whole experience. I think I wrote an article about this a little while ago, actually, about how what I think our whole experience of how we define fine dining will change. So you know, ten years ago, fine dining might be you'd go to a restaurant, you could be there all night. Now we've got two sittings, two hours. Yeah. <laughs> now, or the most expensive restaurants that are in Sydney unbelievable I know. and now you watch what's going to happen we're going to have to pre-order <laughs> from the menu I don't know this is I'm sure this hasn't happened yet but wait watch this space we're going to have to pre-order from the menu before we go there um to to make sure that the food will be there because anything to do with you know shortages logistics anything like that plus it makes it more economically efficient for restaurants to do that because then they can only order the the exact you know um, stock that they need, etc., and it also reduces wait time. So there's no waiter coming up and asking you what you would like for your order. Um, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that won't happen. But I hope I don't it know. doesn't happen because that's so much it's a clinical experience, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just a it's bit exactly. sad. <laughs> well, it's like the whole. Um, you know, I still hark back to the bottle of wine. I love hearing the cork. You know, the corkscrew, mm. doing the whole process. Put mm. the corkscrew in, pop it. The sound as opposed to a screw top. <laughs> I just can't bring myself, even though some of the most expensive wines or nice wines, you know, a screw top. And I understand also the reason that they've done the screw tops. It's meant to be better for the wine, but still, I do like a cork. Uh, thank you. On that note, I, I feel our conversation has come to a close, Roxanne. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for your time. And thanks thank for inviting you so much. Me. Where can we get your book? Oh, thank you. Um, you can um, Booktopia, Amazon, um, online, Dimix um, have, have it in stock at the moment. The airports have got it in stock. But, um, yeah, if you anywhere online, um, Booktopia is probably the easiest. Awesome. Thank you, and I hope lots of people go out and grab your book, Employable, Seven Attributes to Assure Your Working Future. So it's always good to... Have your future in mind, I say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, big picture. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.